Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Arvind Hickman and welcome to the PR Weekly where PR industry news, analysis and gossip come to play. Today, we are going to discuss campaigns and comms around the Euros, the launch of new TV station GB News, out-of-office emails, and take a look at who's winning PR Week's Employer Premier League. Now, just as Euro 2020 is about to kick off, albeit one year late, my usual sparring partner, PR Week editor John Harrington, has been benched for this episode. Taking his place in our starting lineup is City Press CEO Charles Tattersall and Manifest Manchester MD Beck Chellen. Welcome to you both. Hi, Arvind. Hi, Arvind. Thanks for having us. Right, now this is going to be a rather hostile studio today. We have a Liverpool supporting host and guests who are fans of Manchester United and that other club in Liverpool that never really wins anything. Oh. But we will try to keep things <laughs> nice and civil. An early blow, Arvin, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you'll get plenty of opportunities to get yours back, Beck, and I have no doubt that you will. Look, to begin with, um, you know, a, a bit of an icebreaker. Let's have some Euro tips. Charles, who do you think will win and who are you supporting? Oh, well, I'm obviously supporting England and um, it would be a bit crazy to, to back England, wouldn't it, given our previous uh, previous track record? But I guess I'm, I'm going to back England. I'm going to go with the uh, with the obvious choice. OK, fantastic. Very optimistic there. Beck, what about you? I'm going to go from optimistic to probably a little bit more controversial. Um, I, I do I, I do love um, all aspects of football, but I do find it hard supporting England. And I think it's probably because, as you referred to earlier, um, Arvind, I am an Everton fan. We don't tend to be renowned for our um, England squad sign-ups, although we do we do have two um, this tournament, so it's not too bad. But um, cheering on the vast majority of players who I spend week in, week out, really not liking very much. It's quite difficult for me. Um, uh, my money's on France, actually, to take it this year, okay. I think. Um, yep. Yeah, that's that's. So, so you're, you're you're basically going. Uh, you think France will win it, but you're not particularly supporting anyone. You're going to sit on the fence in that one. No, just going to consume every single minute of football. 
Well, look, that's fair enough. You, you can't really lose if you're not supporting anyone. Um, look, I, I'm with you, Beck. I, I honestly think this, this French team looks outstanding. Um, they're in great form. But I will actually, like Charles, support England. So let's hope, let's hope England finally gets up there and um, can finally deliver on their vast promise. Uh, speaking of Euro 2020, I wanted to sort of kick off our chat with that. Now, it starts on Friday. There have been a ton of brands looking to get into the spirit of this festival of football. Um, but the reality is that COVID and that dreaded Indian variant are still imposing a level of caution and restriction around games and how fans can sort of enjoy the games. I'd like to ask our guests to begin with, how can brands maximise the Euro buzz while still adhering to social distancing and other rules? Beck. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're over a year in now and I think brands have got very adept to adapting to um, co- the COVID situation as and when they need to, showing up in the right way, making sure they're being respectful of people's preferences or kind of safety and, you know, obviously you know, the health of nations as well. Um, so I think showing up in the right way isn't necessarily going to be that much of a challenge, but I think where the real opportunity lies is is through social and content, actually. Um, I think, you know, we can't get away from the fact that more and more we are still going to be on our screens. Um, Even if it's in smaller gatherings together where we're allowed to, we're still going to be, you know, on social media talking about matches. We might even be live streaming on small screens, large screens. Um, Certainly kind of, you know, taking in extracurricular activities around uh, the tournament, such as betting or kind of podcasts or reviews or anything like that. So I think... The real opportunity is through content and that, that real kind of two-way content as well. So rather than just broadcast out to fans, it's producing really timely of the moment content that involves people in conversation that reacts to, uh, to live events, to live results um, as it's happening. Okay. Charles, what, what's your take on, on what brands should do or how they should play this one? Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's interesting that t- TikTok is a major sponsor. I mean, I think that the timing is is absolutely superb for them because they're obviously trying to take advantage of their immense following. Obviously, over the last year, there's you know they've, they've kind of grown their user base across Europe. But I think their their sponsorship is really a masterstroke because I think this year, more than any other, people are going to be like Beck said, kind of engaging with um, what's happening on the field on their phones. I think that um, the way that TikTok is already starting to encourage fans to you know, share videos, kind of talk about their favourite anthems. You can imagine player celebrations being recreated. I think that I don't can't remember a, a, a sponsorship uh, between a sporting event and a brand that's ever been more aligned and appropriate. I mean, you've obviously got Heineken, you've got Coca-Cola, the kind of usual brands that you expect, but it's TikTok sponsorship that I think is the most exciting. So I think it'd be fascinating to see how that plays out. Okay. Uh, now, you mentioned Heineken before. Heineken um, is one of the brands that has caught my attention. Um, they did this really funny video that involved former Welsh footballer Robbie Savage um, commissioning a portrait of England legend Rio Ferdinand. Um, they're both colleagues on BT Sport, as, as you might be aware. Um, now, the, the Rio Ferdinand portrait um, has him draped in a Welsh flag, and it's for the Heineken Hall of Fame. Um, have a listen to this. What's the flag about? Well, that national pride, you're playing for your team, you know. I, I, that, that, I, I don't know how many caps you've got, but I know you're, you play for your team, so... Sorry. I'm not, I'm not getting... There's something going on that I'm not getting. What? So this is... This is you, like, I'm Welsh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. OK. <laughs> He's not a man. So, sorry. 
Beck, have there been any Euro campaigns so far that have really caught your attention? Do you know, it's interesting you mentioned the Heineken um, sponsorship, actually, because Heineken and their overarching campaign, the Enjoy the Rivalry campaign, has really caught my eye. Um, particularly the, the Hero brand film, the final together piece. Um, that actually, going back to your previous question around how can brands navigate kind of, you know, COVID restrictions and the pandemic, um, they do have a nod to that in their, in their piece in there where they do really mix, you know, the, the small screen um, technology and in real life interactions between rival fans. Um, but where I think it really excels is um, kind of that... And this is reflected in Southgate's comms, actually, which I know we're going to talk about later. I think it, it's celebrating rivalry in the in the right way, particularly around football. I think, you know, right now the world is has a lot of divisiveness in it. Um, and that doesn't seem to be slowing down in any way, shape or form. And I think certain things around football, whether, you know, it's taking the knee or even just what a flag can mean, it can feel quite divisive. And, you know, people have picked up on symbols where they tend to celebrate differences rather than coming together. So that celebrate the rivalry and still, you know, having a shared passion, even though you might be supporting different teams, have slightly different viewpoints, but you can still enjoy the game together. I think Heineken have got it bang on this year with that. Yeah, I mean, it's a great message, isn't it? Very much of this time. Charles, have there been any campaigns that have really sort of caught your attention? The simple answer is no. If I'm re- if I'm really honest, um, I know we were going to be talking about this. I mean, I had to Google um, and try to find some. So I, I I honestly don't think we've seen any, you know, apart from the Heineken example you mentioned, any campaigns of any note. I mean, I think most of the brands that are involved are doing fairly safe stuff at the moment. We haven't seen any kind of Paddy Power style stunts again, apart from the Heineken one you mentioned. So um, I think it's too early to tell. Um, but again, my, my focus is going to be on how social media companies, specifically TikTok, are, are going to use the opportunity because there will be a huge spike in social conversation. We'll, we'll wait to see what brands do. I'm, I'm often more interested in what brands that don't sponsor these tournaments do because obviously they're really restricted about what they can and can't do. But I think we, in the past we've seen some really clever executions from companies that you know, they exploit the moment but don't necessarily pay the money to the, to the, uh, to the organisers. It's a good point, isn't it? It's, it's almost sort of like a form of newsjacking, if you like. Is City Press or, or Manifest uh, doing any work with clients around the Euros? We, we're doing a little bit around the edges. We work for Coca-Cola, uh, European partners um, who are involved in, in obviously the sponsorship through the Coke company. Uh, that's mainly on pack promotions. They're doing a um, winnable, giveable uh, on pack promotion. But uh, beyond that, we're not, we're not uh, involved in any activations. Okay, Beck. In terms of direct activations, no, it's similar to um, to Charles, actually. Um, you know, when it comes to responsive, almost that newsjacking element and joining in the conversation um, where it feels right for brands um, that we kind of manage socials for and online, absolutely, but not kind of any out-and-out brand, brand-led brand campaigns necessarily. Okay. Now, Beck, you, you touched on this, uh, what's, you know, Southgate's really passionate letter that he wrote in the Players' Tribune before it and players taking the knee. It's one of those things in the lead up to the tournament that has really sort of come out and become quite a divisive issue. Um, in, in a couple of the England friendlies that were played in Middlesbrough, um, players who took the knee uh, were booed uh, by a small but, but rather loud section of the crowd. And there's been quite a lot of attention in terms of um, Southgate's response to that, the players' response to that. You know, some some are even concerned it might become a bit of a distraction. Now, Charles, I wanted to sort of get your view on footballers taking the knee, the fans booing of it, and how Southgate and the players are responding to it. And also, what sort of PR advice you would offer the England camp at this time? I mean, I think Southgate is doing a, a fantastic job. I think his um, his messaging, his communication is absolutely spot on. I think I think I'd say it's actually faultless. 
I think he, I was listening to him in um, in his interviews earlier this week, and I think he, he made the point that uh, as manager, it's not necessarily about his uh, forcing his opinion on the team. He's there to basically represent the team. And I think he was saying that in the decisions they've taken around taking the knee, he's consulted the players. Um, I think, you know, it's very difficult to row back from this. I think if they were to not take the knee in future games, it would show almost that the people that were booing uh, have been successful. So they're kind of stuck in a bit of a difficult situation, but I think they should continue to do it. I think that uh, if the players feel that they want to have solidarity and to make a stand and to show that they don't stand for racism, I think it's entirely appropriate. Uh, Southgate's letter that you mentioned uh, before was, was was really powerful, and I think it explains how England fans need to be tolerant, uh, how they shouldn't have a single view on what it means to be British or English, rather, um, and you know, get behind the get behind the team. So I think his comms have been really good. I think they should stick with it. I think the broader issue is that, yeah, taking the knee is divisive. Um, so really, I think the football authorities probably need to start thinking of other ways in which players can express, you know, their solidarity for others and, you know, uh, show that they, you know, they're standing up to racism. And, and that's going to be a real challenge, but I think it's, it's what they should be focused on but maybe not for this tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point, isn't it, Beck? That they've really sort of um, dug their heels in, in into this taking the knee protest. Um, it's obviously very divisive. Some people don't like it uh, for whatever reasons, but the risk of rowing back is that it sort of makes it look weak and it makes it look like those who, who are booing have, have actually won. What would you advise the England camp to do at this time and, and sort of going forward? Yeah, I mean, by and large, I absolutely agree with Charles. I think, I think the comms, especially the latter, has been bang on so far. I think it feels... And this word's used an awful lot, actually, but I do think it feels very authentic to Southgate. And I think him and his media team have done an incredible job on building on his personality and, and making that feel very authentic by amplifying that. So far, you know, the message has been very clear. It's been very consistent. Um, I think next, I'd like to I'd like to see the team invite conversation in some kind of way. So whether that's this tournament or, or next tournament, I think... Um, looking at Southgate's letter, there's there's only one line in there that kind of made me think, hmm, not sure about that. And I think at one point he says, unfortunately for those people that engage in this kind of behaviour, I have some bad news. So talking about people who are booing, taking the knee. He says, you're on the losing side. Now, in the world kind of feeling very divisive, that's the, that's the one line and it's only five words, but that still feels quite divisive for me. And I think what we need to do next is probably step forward and start to start understanding the motivations behind the people who are booing, because that's the only way that we're ever going to start to understand and have conversations, try and educate, try and get to the bottom of what's brought people to come to the choice that they want to boo, what, you know, by and large, you know, no one's ever going to boo people standing against racist action. So what's, what's become clear to them in terms of messaging from different groups and how do we combat that? I think it's got to be through the conversation. Yeah, some of the the uh, people who boo or, or sort of people on that, that that side of the fence, if you like, they, they sort of say that, you know, Southgate and the players are really out of touch with ordinary um, Brits um, about this issue. Do, do you agree with that? Do, do you think the players are, are probably a little bit out of touch or in a bubble? I, I, I think that's a ridiculous um, uh, suggestion by people that are booing. I mean, the, the, the England team is is representative of, of you know the young players that we have and it's representative of, 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 of Britain and I think that you've got to understand the challenges that they face black players that play for England have faced racist abuse for years and I think it's the you know, it's like football violence in the in the 80s that was a major problem um, there was huge opposition to um, the measures that were put in place to make stadiums safe they've now been adopted I think we're 
I mean, it's probably a, a silly comparison to make, but or, or not directly relevant. But there has to be a change, and um, I think the players have to go to, you know, certain they ha- they have to show how they feel. And you know, I'm really supportive of it. I'm I'm the first person to kind of you know to to not agree with things that are too woke or um, you know are out of touch. But I think I'd say they're actually very much in touch by taking this action. Um, but you know, what, what what else what else do they do when they've had the issues that they've had from from uh, so-called football supporters, they've got to do something. Now, the problem is it's probably going to egg racists on, isn't it? That's going to be the challenge. So it's, it might have a, a the opposite effect, but I don't think it's the time to back down. Yeah, and there's this whole other, other um, element as well where you know, they will say that this is part of a Marxist movement, how they characterise BLM um, rightly or wrongly. Um, obviously, it's probably a little nonsense. But is this a case, though? You know, the players have been quite clear about this. Southgate has been quite clear about this. Is this a case where those who continue to boo are, are clearly not listening to, to the players or, or to Southgate? I mean, it, it, Becky mentioned it was important to understand um, what these people are and their grievances. But is there also a case to be made where they should try to understand what the players are actually protesting for and and not you know turn a blind eye to it because it, it doesn't suit their agenda absolutely you know that conversation's got to got to be two-way and i think you know i mean that that's an easy sentence to say isn't it you know let's invite people to have a conversation and hopefully you know generate some understanding and if it was that easy then the world would be a very different place indeed but it has got to be um you know a case on both sides and i think you know child you mentioned earlier that you you haven't really seen any campaigns that stand out to you. And I think it's probably because brands are a little bit uncertain on, on how to act um, and show up at the moment in terms of in terms of the, the tournament this year. And I think that's probably why Heineken have taken the approach that they've taken. You know, the understanding, the fact um, trying to find a commonality um, comes through Southgate's letter very, very strongly. You know, you can see it threaded all the way through that he's harking Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Back to how he much he respects his granddad and his granddad's kind of older traditional values. And he's trying to take a step forward around, you know, differences in what it means to be British and English this time. But in that we still have, you know, a similar uh, belief in, in, a, in a football team and a, sort of, and a pride in a football team. So I think there's signs of that starting to happen, but it's definitely got to be on both sides. I think it's a generational thing as well. I mean, I, I would hope that in the next, you know, few decades that this kind of thing will, will die out and greater sort of, you know, acceptance will will come in but you know everyone's always booed at football everyone's always you know got an opinion when they're kind of you know when they're in the football stadium so um yeah it's going to be very difficult to i, I think to navigate this during the euros but uh, my advice to to southgate would be and and the england team would be carry on doing what you're doing if you get criticism it's only from a minority and i don't think that should they should you know they should uh, change course now yeah and i think you know the the comment around you know the footballers are out of touch i think 
that's quite a, a lazy um, accusation, to be honest, particularly when an awful lot of those footballers are, are living that abuse online, you know, immediately, like literally seconds or minutes after a game is finished. I think I think that's massively wide of the mark. It's a really good point. One place where they won't be taking the knee is GB News. On <laughs> Sunday, the new TV channel is launching in the UK. It promises to present regional voices and alternative views to the metropolitan elite. Its figurehead, Andrew Neil, will front his own show and promises an antidote to wokeness. And he says um, in, in launching this that the media is often out of touch. Sounds familiar. Beck and Charles. Now, Charles, you're, you're sort of based in Manchester, but obviously have you know your re- regional tentacles everywhere. And Beck, you're based in Yorkshire, but your office is, of course, in Manchester. So you, I'm sure you have many regional clients that may be drawn to GB News. Uh, Charles, what is your expectations of GB News and where do you see the sort of pair opportunities for brands? Well, the first thing I'd say is I really welcome the, the investment in the channel. I think it's always exciting when uh, a new broadcaster comes uh, comes into the market. And I think we should, you know, as, as PR people, we should uh, we should be excited about that. In terms of opportunity, I think it's really encouraging that uh, they've gone and hired uh, regional correspondents and looking at some of their profiles that, you know, they're really good people that are well qualified. They've either got broadcast experience or regional, you know, regional print journalism experience. And I think I think that does give the channel immediate credibility and i think it will give regional voices to the to the program immediately it's a nice blend that they've got um young and old reporters they've got people that are kind of you know established kind of broadcast veterans with you know people that don't necessarily come from a broadcast background so i think hopefully it will provide opportunity for clients the the, the question really is um you know what kind of content are they going to produce because i'm going to produce because i'm still confused as to what their real purpose is. I think a lot of the pre-publicity material I've seen is actually quite contradictory. Uh, they say that they want to represent this kind of unheard voice, but yet they say they don't want to be divisive. Um, they're not going to be Fox News, but they're going to have challenging content. So um, it's difficult at this stage to understand exactly what the broadcast output's going to be. I mean, I, I, I can understand what Andrew Neil's show is going to all be about and maybe some of the other presenters, but um, at the moment, I'm just waiting to see. Yeah, it's all hypothetical, isn't it? We, we don't know what the programming slate is at this minute. Bec, what, what are your perceptions about G, GB News and um, some of the opportunities it may present for brands? It's been highlighted, as Charles said, as potentially divisive. Um, I think some coining it as you know, the British Fox News, which I know Andrew Neil has been quite strong in coming back on saying uh, it's centred in journalistic integrity and, and debate, which can only be a good thing. Um, and I don't believe that, you know, it's going to be as extreme as Fox News or going anywhere near um, any fake news. Um, and I think, you know, that journalistic integrity and that debate element um, is very exciting um, in terms of being educated, in terms of being entertained, in terms of being informed. And I think that's where brands could have a real opportunity. Um, you know, I think it's been a little bit of a theme this um, this episode where we are saying, you know, let's have a conversation. Let's try and understand you, know, you only need to look at the likes of Question Time to see that you can give balanced views from opposing sides and still be entertained and informed. Um, so, you know, as Charles says, we don't know the um, we don't know the running order yet, but we do know it's kind of going to be carving up um, the rolling news that we're quite used to with kind of specific uh, programming slots. So that in itself, I think, is exciting to show um, how brands can come forward, have a viewpoint, but also show that they are listening to other viewpoints as well. Sorry, I was just going to say one thing that I think they failed to do from the outset is get a big name uh, on board. So uh, there was obviously a suggestion they were talking to Piers Morgan, um, but they don't have, you know, 
somebody of that kind of character and celebrity. You know, there's no Nick Ferrari type character. So obviously Andrew Neil has a profile, but he's more sort of, I guess, you know, traditional mainstream kind of media in his background. So uh, the interesting thing will be, is there a, is there a personality on their lineup that's really going to draw people in? I don't think there is. I think that's, that's probably where they've, you know, they could have done better from the outset, but you, know, you don't know what goes on behind the scenes and what money's involved. It sort of launches on Sunday, so I, I guess we will get to know GB News much better in the coming days and weeks. Now, I just want to want to move along to out of hours emails. PR Week has run a couple of pieces about whether PR professionals should ban out of hours emails in an effort to improve the boundaries between work and home. It's an issue that has come to the fore as we've been forced to work from home during lockdown. However, the response from industry leaders in PR has generally been lukewarm if not somewhat negative, with suggestions that it simply won't work. Uh, Beck, you've worked in the internal comms and employee engagement space for a number of years now, so I'm really interested to get your view about out-of-hours emails and whether they should be banned in PR. Yeah, I do I do have quite strong views on this one, actually, and I think it really does need to be less about the timing of an email and more about the purpose of a comms channel. Um, I think if we focus on that rather than timing, um, we can st- then start to realise that actually... Email doesn't need to be something that is a bit of a trigger. I think this comes from email and kind of crowded inboxes being a little bit of a trigger for people um, and it, almost email becoming that urgent response channel. I think if if we go back to treating email as an information sharing platform and a communication platform between two human beings, factor into the fact that, you know, Interscope, that our working lives are very, very different these days. Um, offices such as ours our global offices where there isn't always a nine to five or a nine to six and people work across different time zones. We work with organizations that have shift patterns. I think it becomes very, very difficult to even determine what out of hours even is anymore, particularly when we factor in flexible working hours and how we all want to get a more of a balanced work-life blend. If we go back to urgent communications being on a phone call or you know on a whatsapp or a text message and move away from email coming across as oh i've got to respond to everything in my email straight away and then the minute you've kind of cleared your inbox it all coming back again i think that's where the stress factors come in and i think it is more around purpose of channel rather than timing of messaging okay charles you spoke to john about this and you expressed some concerns about a ban can you elaborate I mean, I just think it's ridiculous we're talking about emails in 2021. I mean, it's, you know, it's not it's not emails that are the issue. The issue is um, the culture that different, well, some workplaces must have where people feel under pressure to, you know, to work beyond the hours that they're supposed to. I mean, it's, it's, it's to me, and I might be looking at this through rose-tinted specs, it's really simple. You know, if you've got a company where people are empowered and people are given the opportunity to work at times to suit them, um, then nobody should feel under pressure, no matter what communication is coming their way. Um, so I just think I think the discussion is old fashioned. I think the proposal that the union put forward is just a bit silly. I think it's almost suggesting that we work in this kind of nine to five world, which we don't anymore. Um, and I just think the answer is quite simple. If you get home from work, put your phone um, in a cupboard or a drawer or don't look at it, um, you know, I, I'm increasingly doing that. I think people know that if they really want to reach me, they can reach me, you know, by phone or via other means. So, yeah, just it's it's. I, I almost find it quite depressing that we're having a discussion around you know the timings of emails when actually we should be talking about the culture that exists within the workplace, which is a far more interesting discussion, to be honest with you. We don't actually use email internally at Manifest, and um, we haven't done for for some years. And I think 
for people joining from other agencies and other organisations, that is a surprise. But it really helps us contain, you know, some of that wildfire communications where it does feel like there are multiple channels and it feels like a lot on the individual. But it also helps us set boundaries as well. You know, we do have um, Slack as our internal communications channel where all work happens. Um, and we speak to the teams about very much setting your own boundaries. You know, you, don't, you aren't expected to be online all the time, but you are expected to appreciate that other people may well be because of a different time zone that working in or a different preference in terms of their flexible working day. That person who sent you that message isn't sending that message through any kind of ill intent that's expecting you to respond to it. So I think it's that humility and that understanding that we're all trying to communicate with each other as best as possible whether that's email, telephone conversation, you know, pigeon carrier or something like that, it, it feels like there's a bit of an alarmism or an alarmist culture around email. Um, and it feels like it's a bad thing to receive an email. It's actually, you know, email's supposed to be useful for people if you're going to send them. It's a good point that you raised. And, and I also like the point about how, you know, if you really want full flexibility, telling people when they can and can't look at their emails um, sort of counters that, doesn't it? Um, and the point about culture as well and how that's much more important. Uh, recently, um, PR Week released its inaugural Employer Premier League um, feature, which ranked agencies over how they've performed in years of our Best Places to Work awards. Uh, please visit our website to find out how it's calculated. Um, but anyway, topping the list is none other than City Press, while Manifest finished fifth, two points outside of the Employer Champions League place. Um, now, when we um, released this feature in our magazine, our editor, John, decided to present this by placing um, Charles Tattersall's head on top of Pep Guardiola in Manchester City colours. Charles. <laughs> Cheers, John. <laughs> tell me, when you first saw this image, what was your reaction? I didn't know it was me at first. I thought, I thought who, who's that? And, uh, and then I thought, oh, Christ, it's Pep Guardiola. And uh, yeah, I'm obviously not a Manchester City fan. So then I started to think, oh, you know, this is not, uh, this is a wind up that John uh, is just having a go at me. But uh, look, I'm really flattered. I mean, it's great to, 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 you know, to have the position that we have at the, in, on the league table. Um, and who wouldn't want to be compared to Pep Guardiola? But um, it's just a shame that he manages the wrong team in Manchester. <laughs> Fair enough. Look, I just wanted to ask you and Beck clearly, what is it about your agencies that makes them such great places to work? What do you think is the key to, to success in terms of a great workplace culture? Yeah, I think it's not one single thing. I think that um, my, I think the great thing is that PR agencies and and, um, and in-house employers are becoming better employers. I think that's really encouraging. I think I'd applaud PR Week for the the best places to work uh, initiative. I think it does really good things for the sector. Shows people what others are doing. The industry in the past has been a bit guilty of tokenism. I think you know there are lots of gimmicks, whether it's kind of duvet days or yoga in the office or bring your dogs in. That's all good stuff. But what I think makes a difference is when you really get under the skin of what um, makes people happy at work and in their life. And for us, there's four things that we now focus on. It's about um, people's social connections. So that means support with the local community, uh, having a good culture, connecting with colleagues and, you know, doing things like volunteering. It's obviously mental and physical health. So, you know, everything that's involved in that, we want to make sure people feel that they can be um, healthy at work. But the thing that we've introduced recently, which is proving really good, is um, is focusing on people's financial health. And I think this is where agencies can work harder to help people to understand, you know, how to 
um, you know, look after their money and make sensible decisions. So really simple thing that we did. It's a little example, but we do in a session now to teach people how to read their pay slips. That, mm-hmm. that might seem ridiculous, but if you're in your early 20s, you've got a new job, you work for an agency, you probably don't know what NICs are and you don't know what tax rates are. So you know, we're helping people to, to do that kind of thing. So we're going beyond the gimmicks now and we're focusing on the underlying reasons and ways that people can be happy at work. Okay. But what do you do at Manifest that makes such a wonderful place to work? Really investing in wider training, um, wider creative training, inviting speakers from real world um, brands and organisations to come and chat to the team. Um, as Charles said, you know, making sure people have real valuable life skills. So whether that's um, on the mental wellness side, we've invested heavily in terms of giving people provision for mental and physical wellness um, or encouraging people to very much embrace our flexible working policies, putting in place um, no meetings time where people can get some space in their diary to either get some fresh air during the day, get some exercise or get some deep thinking doing. It, it's, it's really thinking beyond how do we compensate for work and actually how do we make work somewhere that is genuinely fulfilling place to be both in the work that you're doing and the way that you're working. Okay, just just one final question, um, Beck. Oh, is there one bit of advice you'd, you'd give other agencies, or, or is there one common um, thing that you think agencies get wrong when it when it comes to cultivating these sorts of really good work, working environments? I think one word of advice is if if you aim for perfection, you'll never reach it, uh, and that's not to be negative or not to kind of always stri- strive for the very very best you can do. But being upfront with your teams that you are always looking for ways to improve and inviting their feedback on how you can make those improvements is absolutely fundamental. Also, there's certain things that we can't be responsible for as well. And I think, you know, for the past year, work has very much filled most people's lives. Um, and if you've been fortunate enough to be working throughout the last year, obviously a lot of people have been on furlough and, and that can cause conflicts in emotions at the best of times. But that doesn't mean to say that work is life either. And there's got to be that balance. And I think that's what's something we've been really, really um, mindful of um, over the last year and will continue to, to be so that you have to you have to make room for life around work, um, not just for your wellness, but also for your quality of work as well. You know, you can't bring views of consumers into the brand building work that you do and manifest without experiencing life yourself fantastic well, i'm afraid that is all we have time for today if you'd like to read more about any of the major stories that we have spoken about please visit our website prweek.com forward slash uk i'd like to thank charles tattersall from city press and beck chellen from manifest for joining us and our producer Lindsay riley from rethink audio for putting together this podcast thank you for listening i hope you enjoy the european football championships and we hope you can join us next time until then goodbye Thank you.